I'd like us to read the word of God again. We're continuing our study of the book of Esther. This morning we were looking at chapter four, at chapter 3. And this evening we read chapter 4, verses 1 to 17. The book of Esther. Esther chapter 4. We read the whole chapter. When Mordecai learned all that had been done... Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province Wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young woman and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hatha one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her and ordered him to go out to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city, in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, and the exact sum of money that Hamam had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favour and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathach, And commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom The king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these thirty days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. 
For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. We end our reading at the close of this fourth chapter. Let us continue looking at some of the aspects of this book of Esther. We come this evening to chapter 4. It's becoming more and more obvious that the early 21st century is not an easy time to be a Christian. Our culture is collapsing. The church as a whole is in crisis. Life is busy and often stressful. There are many personal areas of weakness. How do we react to these pressures? Some people become workaholics. Nothing but work every hour of the day. Some people become escapists. Running away from the pressures. Finding places to hide. Some are apathetic. They just seem not to care or of any interest. Some have a quiet but strong discouragement. They feel helpless. They look at the world and say, there's nothing, nothing I can do. And friends, I believe we can learn from this past crisis how you and I may be able in God's time and in God's way, to make key contributions. You remember the history. We saw that most of the exiled Jews returned from their exile to Palestine. But many stayed in the land of exile. And they are now under the emperor Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, of Persia. He's a man well known in ancient history. A psychopath. He had recently divorced his wife and married this beautiful Jewish orphan, Esther, or Hadassah, her name was. We see threatened in the previous chapter a time of ethnic cleansing. The Prime Minister, Haman, 
has been annoyed by one Jew and his decision is to have all the Jews in the empire murdered. Mordecai has taken the place of a father to this young relative, Esther. And he's urging her in this chapter to go to her royal husband. He's about to, rather. To go to her royal husband and plead for her nation and their life. And for us this evening, I'd like us to focus on one particular verse which seems to me to gather together much of the truth of of the chapter. Chapter 4, verse 14. The man is speaking to the young woman whom he's cared for. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Here I think it's a key phrase, a key sentence. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. That's God's word to each one of us. Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I'd like to look at this with you from four angles. First of all, there's a responsibility we must recognize. A responsibility we must recognize. Esther is obviously a very beautiful woman. We know little else about her. And yet we see and we're going to see that there has been a very dramatic change in her life. She came in one way, under God she's becoming another. As we began to read the book, we saw of her as an exile, a Jewess, and an orphan. Those are all weakening words. No status there, no strength, no protection, an exile a Jewess, and an orphan. What is she now? She's the queen of the whole vast empire. That's the change that has happened in her life. And Mordecai is now asking her, why has all this happened to you? It's not just for your own benefit. But surely it's so that you might deliver the nation. Mordecai discerns the purpose of the unmentioned God. And friends, that happens and can happen for us also. Like Esther, and yet with a richer meaning, we have come to the kingdom. You've come to the kingdom, he says. You're a queen. And that's God's word to each of his people here tonight. You've come to the kingdom. You have been saved eternally 
from all your sins. You have been given a new nature, a new birth. You are now recognized as sons and daughters of God. You have within you the rich indwelling spirit. And through him you are blessed. And in his people you are blessed with fellowship and teaching. God has given you powers of mind and body. God has given each one of his people in this room talents, different talents, but real talents of various kinds, valuable. God has given us families. And many of us can look back to our families for generations walking before Christ. And many of us can look at our present families and come before God as we pray for our future families. We have the fellowship of the church. We have opportunities for service. And on and on we could go. Why? Why do you have all these things? Mordecai would say. They're so that we move from personal enjoyment to personal responsibility. In the blessings God has given us, we are given also a responsibility, a real responsibility, to live our lives and to answer them before him for the blessings he has given us. Stalker writes, We all begin like Esther, the centre of all things to ourselves, proud of our abilities and eager to shine. But the transfiguring moment comes when the thought first penetrates us that perhaps this was not the purpose for which we received these gifts at all. Not so that we would be happy and secure and joyful. Do you remember the words in Mark? To him whom much is given, much is required. Or as we sing in Psalm 116, what shall I render to the Lord? For all his gifts to be. Why am I in the kingdom? Why are you in the kingdom? What is our responsibility? What does God want of us? Can I say to anyone here who is still unconverted. Why are you here this evening? Why are you friendly and so loved and welcomed by many in this fellowship? What is God's purpose in bringing those things into your life? Surely to bring him, bring you to himself. The responsibility. Secondly, to balance it, and we've quite a bit of balancing this evening. The burden 
we must refuse. The burden we must refuse. Think with me in this. We're responsible. That's good. That's right. We are responsible. And we owe it to God. But to become too responsible is crushing. And what we need is a beautiful balance. As her uncle says, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. You see what he's saying? If you keep silent, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another, from another place. We mightn't have said that to Esther if we were trying to persuade her to go and speak to the king. We mightn't have said, Esther, if you don't speak to the king, don't worry, someone else will do what's necessary. No. We would surely have said, you've got to do this here. You've got something to do. You must go. Esther, it all depends on you. That's what we could have said. And that's what it looked like. But Mordecai has a very, very strong faith. He wants Esther to go. He wants her to speak. He can't see any other help if she doesn't go. But he believes that if she doesn't go, God has some help in some place. He doesn't know it. He can't explain it. But he believes in his God. That's hard for him to believe that. One writer says there is only one star in the dark night at this time. This young woman. But her Mordecai is saying, somehow, even if she fails, God will never abandon his people. Salvation will come. God's cause is safe. And he makes that clear to Esther. I'm not saying to you, Esther, God's call depends on you. God's case depends on you. There's only you can do it. From his eyes, there is only she can do it. And he's telling her to do it. It is her duty. But you see how he's qualifying it also with Esther. I'm not saying this because we depend on you. We don't depend on you or any human. We depend on God. And friends, that's a vital principle. Much exhortation to service today stresses the absolute responsibility of the individual. We need you. God needs you. In many churches they will sing these words. Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work today. And that is wrong. We may not see any of our hands. We may not know them. But he always does. God needs no one. God needs nothing. 
God is sufficient in himself. Psalm 50 verse 12, God says to his people, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. God says to his people, I don't depend on you. You remember Acts 17.25 Nor is he saved nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. His elect are safe. Every single one of them will be in heaven. His purposes will be fulfilled. I will build my church, our Saviour says. We may not know how, we may not see ex- any explanation, but we believe it. And friends, that's why many people break down. They can't take on the burden which no human being can carry. They make a mistake by thinking they've got to do everything. Martin Luther had a great friend, Philip Melanchthon. And he once in a bit of a temper said, let Philip stop running the world. He was making a failure of himself. And friends, we've got to remember that about the work of the church. There are individuals we are concerned about. We think with longing and faith of our own children. We look at society, we look at the future of the world, and it can be very humbling. But if we don't do this, and it's meant to be done, it will be done. If we can't reach that person, and they are in fact one of the elect of God, then they will be in heaven. God never depends on any of us. Rest in the Lord and patiently wait for him. So that's our second thought, a reassuring note that we see today, a burden we must refuse. We are not supremely responsible. God gives us big responsibilities, but we're not supremely responsible. And then thirdly, and again we're balancing, the tragedy we must avoid. The tragedy we must avoid. And I mean by that, the depending on God to do everything himself without us doing anything. The sovereignty of God can be used as an excuse. If some of you read church history, you may have smiled at John Ryland, who spoke to a young man called William Carey at Northampton Minister's Fraternal. William Carey was saying that England should send out missionaries into the fallen world. And this elderly minister didn't like the idea of it at all. It was dangerous. It was risky. He says, young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. When God pleases to, ins- to convert heathen, 
He'll do it without consulting you or me. But God does come to his people and he calls them and he sends them. And it is vitally important that they obey. That other unconscious paralysis can invade any of us. The Lord will do it. The Lord will do it. He'll look after these things. We don't realize our personal danger. There's a tragedy here, you see, to avoid. Verse 14 again. For if you keep silent at this time, you and your father's house will perish. The girl was facing an obvious temptation. She was looking at the crisis and she was saying, this has nothing to do with me. I'm sitting here with a very happy life and the queen in all my luxury and richness and I, I, I love the Jews. I'm a Jew myself and I believe in God and I hope that God will do something to save them but I, I don't think it depends on me. Esther answers in verse 11. If any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter. Then the young woman, trembling in her voice and in her heart, says, But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. I'm risking my life. If I speak without being invited, the, the, the probability is that I'll be put to death that day. And Mordecai is remorseless. If you keep silent, you will perish. She can't opt out. She can't escape the crisis. She can't deny her responsibility without loss and damage. She will suffer somehow if she plays a card and avoids her duty. That won't bring her safety. That won't bring her eternal life. No. That is a tragedy. She must avoid. And we can be tempted to act out in the same way. Too many believers do. They're afraid of the cost of involvement. They're afraid of the cost of involvement. Many, many members of churches, in many ways good people, but they fall back before acting on the Lord's behalf in dangerous places. The cost of involvement can be high. There's a solemn warning. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. I don't understand this completely. The salvation of every one of God's people is assured. But there's a tragedy with talents which are not used. 
can't explain that out. Lives which could have been so much more fruitful. So much better. Yes, they, they trust God. They do follow God. We do follow God. But then there are things which God wants us to do. And we don't do them. We don't do them. And for, for that, there will be a suffering and a pain. We sometimes feel that we need to be tested to show who we are. There's a famous line in an old film. I shouldn't command old films, but this is an old American film called On the Waterfront. And Marlon Brando is acting there, a young boxer, in a taxi, Terry Malloy. And he says, as he looks back on his life, I could have been somebody. I could have been a contender. He'd been scared. He hadn't go on with it. He backed off. I could have been more than I am. That's something, that's a tragedy, which we should be conscious of and seek to avoid. And then lastly, thrillingly, encouragingly, there's the opportunity we must grasp. There's the opportunity we must grasp. Her uncle puts it this way, Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Do you not know? Do you not know why you've come? Such a time as this, a dark, frightening, ugly time. Her husband was a madman. Xerxes, if you read him in Greek histories, you read about his life when engineers made a mistake in building a great bridge. He immediately had them all beheaded. When the Hellespont was stormy and he was trying to take his army across the Hellespont into Europe, he ordered the Hellespont to receive 300 lashes so that that piece of water was beaten severely by the king to show his anger and his punishment. Ludicrous, just ludicrous. And he's got a a favourite, ugly, evil, implacable enemy, Haman. And that's the life Esther's in. She's living with a husband. And history tells us a very, very strange man. And she's got an enemy who's wicked and cruel and determined on the life of every Jew. And she's a young woman here in this place on her own. And she may have well have wished another time. No, says Mordecai, this is your perfect time. This is your perfect time. Everything has been overruled. The king's brutality, Vashti's bravery, Esther's beauty. Esther now has a unique opportunity 
to serve God and her people. And friends, all of us, at times, we may wish, as Esther did, for another time. Changes in our personality. To be different people than we are. Some things in our past history that embarrass us, that grieve us, that can almost break our hearts. Some of our present circumstances, which may be testing, challenging, and difficult. We may wish for another time, but we're wrong. Alexander White says, We are what God has made us to be and do. We are in that circle and amid those opportunities which are the very best all the power and all the wisdom and all the love of God can provide for us. The God who has loved you from all eternity has shaped and planned the life you're living now. And that's where he's put you. That's what he's made for you. And from his perspective, that's where he wants you to be. God has given it. It seems difficult. It seems hard. Sometimes we're sobbing. We're crying out. But God, God has planned it all. God has planned it all. We need to apply it to ourselves. We need to apply it to ourselves. Let me repeat again just a sentence to any here who may not yet have come to Christ for salvation. God is in control. Your families, the people you know who are Christians, the times you've been here, what you've heard, who you've seen in the world. You come for such a time as this. And for we believers, grasp your opportunity. I love that phrase in verse 8, understanding it from a different angle. Her uncle says to her that she's to go to the king to beg his favour and plead with him on behalf of our people. Friends, we are called to go to our king and to beg his favour and to plead with him on behalf of his people. We have a mediator. He is our life. We are to use that and all other privileges the fool. Winston Churchill spoke at a famous boys' school, Harrow, on the 29th of October 1941, a very, very bad time in the Second World War. The enemy was strong. Britain and her friends had fallen. It seemed a desperate situation. And he knew that these boys he was speaking to 
Within weeks, most of the sixth form would have signed up as officers. And perhaps within three months, most of them would have have died. And he says, these are not dark days. These are great days. And we must all thank God that we have been allowed, each of us, according to our stations, to play a part in making these days memorable in the history of our race. That's what he said. The nation looked destroyed. The war looked over. He says these are great days and we have been called to follow him in this. Esther grasped her time. Esther, we'll see, did what God wanted her to do. If she hadn't, none of us would ever have heard of her. She would have been one of the tens of thousands forgetting, forgotten oriental playthings. But she's known all over the world. She's been known for well over two and a half thousand years. She shines as a star in the firmament of history. So may we, so may we, God's calling us to obey him. And if we obey him, there will be glory. There will be a final wonderful answer. And Daniel 12, 3, here's the promise. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness, like the stars, forever and ever. If you could please take away with you these words from our text. Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Amen. Spare heads. Father, open our eyes to the world in which we live. Open our ears to hear your voice and touch our hearts to teach us again that each one of your people has been loved from all eternity and that you have a purpose designed and planned for each one of us to walk in those steps. Help us to keep walking, Lord, when there's fear and when there's pain and when there's loneliness. Help us to keep walking, looking to you. We pray that we will feel your arm around us and at the end you will bring us to the great glory of your presence and we will see all that you have done through us in our lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen.